as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So, we appear to have had a bit of a uh, a mix-up on the second lection, uh, which is great because it gets... No, I mean, for one, I just I love hearing the stories about Elijah and Alicia again. It's, you know, I, I, I really could listen to that all day. I really, I especially like the one where there are a bunch of boys taunting Alicia... And uh, and and uh, because he's bald, and and uh, and then uh, he sends a bear to maul them. <laughs> but uh, our second reading prescribed for today is actually from Paul's letter to the Galatians. And again, uh, here again, the, the the lectionary wants to cut out some of the best material. And so, since I get a chance to to give you the lection anyway, I'm going to include the stuff I wanted to, including uh, one of Paul's uh, middle school jokes. So Paul starts off in Galatians 5 saying, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The situation in Paul's letter to the Galatians is he's writing to a church that has been uh, basically set upon by a bunch of people who have an agenda. And their agenda is to say that people who are not of Jewish descent, and most of the church in Galatia would have fallen into this category, they're saying people who are not of Jewish descent basically need to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus, Israel's Messiah. So their argument is that anybody who has come into the church from outside of Judaism first has to go through the portal of being Jewish, in order to follow Jesus, Israel's Messiah. What this means, specifically, is that men have to be circumcised. Now, in addition to being a very uncomfortable thing, if you have not had this done at a point where, thankfully, you can't remember that it happened to you, uh, there are huge theological dimensions to this issue that Paul finds to be extremely 
problematic. One of which is, as Paul is, is adamant to point out, yes, Jesus is Israel's Messiah. He is also the Lord of the entire universe. And God welcomes people to him through Jesus, whether they are Jew or Gentile. In fact, he, he says uh, that the, the gospel is good news first for the Jew and then for the Greek or the Gentile, but both for both, the gospel is good news. And he doesn't say it's good news for the Jew only and for the Gentile who becomes a Jew and then becomes Greek. So, and Paul goes into, into much more uh, detail on this in his letter to the Romans, but he says the, the fact is we are the kind of people who have the faith, the sort of faith that Abraham had. And if you, if you remember the story in Genesis, when, when the writer says that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, this statement was made before Abraham and his household were circumcised, not afterward. So, Paul says, those of us who believe, those of you who are Gentiles who have come to believe in the saving power of Christ, who have come to trust God, are people who have the same kind of faith that Abraham had. You don't have to go through all that's involved in becoming Jewish. And the other element that's a problem here is that not only did people, uh, that these people who had set upon the, the Galatian church want Gentiles to go through the rites of initiation for Judaism, they wanted them also to live according to all the precepts of Torah. They wanted them to become fully Jewish. And Paul says, no, this, this is not the agenda that God had in mind. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is this verse, this word, stako, stand firm, is one of three important verbs in this passage. Paul is telling the Galatians, no, stand firm against those who would tell you that to follow Jesus means you have to take upon yourself a whole bunch of rules, a whole bunch of regulations for how you, how you live and the uh, kind of culture you're supposed to establish. No, you are received as Christ's own, whatever your background, whatever your ethnic or religious background, by trusting him. And then Paul says, so mark my words, I'm telling you, that if you let yourself be circumcised, if you're putting all of your trust in this obedience to Torah, Christ won't be any good to you. I'm telling you, anybody who says, okay, I'm going to be circumcised, has basically strapped onto himself the entirety of Torah. He's saying I'm, you're obligated to follow all of it. And if you're trying to be justified, trying to be made right with God, trying to be brought into right relationship with him by following a bunch of rules or by making yourself part of a certain community, then you, you're alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. It's by faith that we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. What matters is faith expressing itself through love. See, you're a good, running a good race. And who cut in on you then and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident 
in the Lord, that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. My brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And here comes Paul's... This is when Paul really gets salty. He says, as for those agitators, those who are pushing circumcision, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. He really said this is really in the Bible. People who say sarcasm isn't for Christians need to consult Paul on that. This is also hyperbole. I don't think Paul really wanted them to do that. But he says, you, my brothers, you were called to be free. But don't, don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. Really, all of Torah is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. Next week, Father Ron is going to be here, and we, we kind of fought over who got to do the Independence Day lections and collects. And since July 4th falls closer to July 7th than it does to June 30th, he got them. <laughs> and so we'll do a, one of the national hymns in the back of our hymnal next week. But, but I do want to point out that there are real resonances for us here as Americans, as people who are part of a society based on the idea of individual liberty, the idea that all of us, by virtue of simply of being human, are endowed by the one who created us with certain unalienable rights. Going with being human means that you have rights to, to life and to liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And I was, I was listening to a podcast on the way down, a, a Harvard professor talking about Alexis de Tocqueville, who wrote uh, back in 1835 in his Democracy in America that America is great because she is good. If she ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. See, the fact is, in our, the, the way that our, our nation's laws and our, our culture are set up by the framers, we have liberty. We have the freedom. And you, in order to have the freedom to do good, you also have to do the freedom to do evil. But the the idea of freedom that the framers had and certainly the idea of freedom that Paul has and that the rest of the biblical authors has is not a, a strictly libertarian idea of freedom. Again, the laws work that way so that you have every right in the world to go to a Celine Dion concert, whether that's good for you or not. But the kind of freedom that we are given is freedom for a purpose. And on this, I quote my old professor in college, who is a Marxist who drove an Audi, but who certainly understood the thinking of Tocqueville when he characterized it this way. He said, freedom is not the freedom to do as you... And he said this with a thick Austrian accent that I can't pull off. Uh, he had all, you know, you know the, the, the stains from his pipe and his white beard and mustache. It, was, I mean, it, was, it really was like right out of central casting. But he said, freedom is not the freedom to do as you damn please... Freedom is the freedom to do as you ought. And in Zechariah's song, which we talked about last week, when he rejoiced that God was sending his son to be the 
the opening act for Messiah. He said uh, that God has promised us salvation. He's delivering salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham in order to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and having rescued us to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So this liberation that God has provided for his people is not the liberation for them to go off and do whatever they want to do. I mean, it could. But the point of it is so that they may then be free to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. This is the kind of freedom that Paul says we have been given in Christ. We've been set free by Christ for freedom, not so that we can then submit again to a, a, a yoke of slavery, to, to submit ourselves to a, a bunch of rules or other people's cultural expectations, but we also are not set called to be free in order to just be licentious. Jude, in his letter, talks in, uh, in the fourth verse of his letter. He only, Jude's the only... Uh, uh, one, of the, one of the New Testament authors who only had one chapter. And he said in his fourth letter, he says, certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're godless men who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus, our only sovereign and Lord. So the point of, of the liberty that we have, the point of our freedom, is not that we indulge that freedom to do whatever we want to do. The idea is that we use our freedom to do as we ought. Paul says don't in, use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another in love. And so, verse 16, he says, I say, live by the Spirit. And you certainly will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, a better way to translate that would be I, to say walk by the Spirit, peripateo. So he starts off saying stand firm in verse 1. And then in 16 he says walk by the Spirit in order that you most certainly will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh, after all, desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit is desires what's contrary to the flesh. And again, we can misunderstand this. We can think about flesh as being that which is material and spirit as that which is somehow ethereal or transcendent. That's not what Paul's talking about at all. He would have been very surprised to hear anybody interpret him that way. When he talks about the flesh, he talks about what is bound up in our nature as fallen, sinful human beings, that which is with the rest of creation in rebellion against God and his purposes. When he sets the spirit against that, he's not talking about the spiritual. He's talking about the life lived, walking in step with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, God's own Spirit, guiding us and working within us. They're in conflict with each other. The flesh and the spirit, they're always fighting. And that means sometimes you don't do what you want. But remember, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under Torah. Now, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, 
hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some people, when they run across this, they use this in exactly the way Paul would not want you to. The idea is not that you look at this whole list and you find something that you don't do and then you use that to clobber people who do that. I mean, I could spend all day declaiming against witchcraft. Not interested in it. Really, I've never driven by one of those palm readers or tarot places and said, you know, I really I want to get some of that. Sorcery is not my bag. But there are plenty of other things in this list that I know all too well. Paul says, this is, this is not what life in the kingdom of God looks like. When you live according to the flesh, when you follow its desires, you're living according to the way of a world in rebellion against God and His purposes. But in contrast to that, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law that can stand up against those things. See, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and the desires. And so since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When I first ran across that verse, let us keep in step with the Spirit, I had in mind the idea of, of the Spirit beating out the tune. You may have heard of people who say he dances to the beat of a different drummer. That's not what we want to do. We want to dance to the tune that that the Spirit is marking out. But in fact, this verb here, stoicheo, and I think Paul may actually be bracketing this whole passage by taking these words that kind of sound similar, steko in verse 1, and then stoicheo in, in verse 5. That word has to do less with dancing than it does with military formation. In fact, there's perhaps a, an echo of of military uh, language and idea when Paul talks about uh, the sinful nature exploiting freedom. That could be the term that would be used to exploit a military advantage. When he talks about keeping in step with the Spirit, he's talking about following the orders of your drill sergeant, which again doesn't sound very pleasant, but what he means there is that there is a way to live that is a good way to live. If we stay in formation, if we follow the way that God is leading, then we live that way. And what this looks like, I think, is, is seen clearly when we use verses 19 to 23 not as a way of clobbering one another, not as a way of saying, well, you're not quite measuring up but as sort of a self-diagnostic tool. I was listening to another podcast by a ministry called Regeneration where they were talking about what happens when you, what happens when you fall, what happens when, especially if you've been involved in, in, in a habit of, of behaviors that are displeasing to God and that, 
that separate you from Him. What happens when you wake up in the morning and you realize, ah, I did that again last night, didn't I? He says, well, you can try to hide from God. You can try to run away. You can hide your face in shame or you can bring this to your loving Father and say, what's going on? How do we make sense of this? Show me, Lord, these offensive ways in me. So when we are convicted, when Paul describes what it looks like to live according to the flesh, and you say, gosh, that kind of cuts close to home. We can feel really embarrassed, we can try to distract ourselves, or we can bring it to our loving Father and say, show me what it is that I need to see. Help me to understand why it is that I keep falling into these habits. And give me the grace to walk in step with the Spirit. We are living by the Spirit. We will keep in step with the Spirit. Because those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Amen.